welcome back to another episode of Rural Faith and Apologetics, and I am your host, Jess Robinson. If you heard last week's episode that was released on Halloween, I just wanted to give you a quick recap of our church's annual trunk or treat. Even though it had been moved inside, we had between 500 to 700 people go through our church that night. For some who live in a big city, that may seem like a small number, but Powell is rural, so that was a huge number. We actually had a family that came through that Tuesday night attend our Sunday morning service, and they got saved. This is why we exist. If she had not come through on Tuesday night, she would not have come to our services and heard the gospel that Sunday morning. And for those of you who haven't heard last week's episode, please go check it out. I think the season we are in should be causing the body of Christ to have an urgency to witness to as many people as possible. Which leads us to this week's episode. We are going to be discussing Noah's Ark and the Flood in Genesis chapter 6. In college, I had taken a mythology class as one of my electives, and one of the things my professor had pointed out is that in every creation story, one common element is there is a flood story. There is proof that there was a worldwide flood. And here in my area, you can go up to the top of the Bighorn Mountains and find seashells. And Wyoming is not even close to an ocean. And when people think about Noah's Ark, they think about a flood and a guy on a boat with a bunch of animals. I honestly think the church has done a poor job on and discussing Genesis chapter 6, especially with younger kids, because they honestly make it out to be that guy on a boat with a bunch of animals. And we don't touch on why there was a flood in the first place. And it's wrong because as kids get older, they look at the flood in Genesis chapter 6, and because they don't have a grasp on what's going on, they have no idea when arguments like we're talking about today come up. And that today's argument is that people say that this story proves that God is cruel and unjust. So why do they say that? It's because if you look at the story and really think about it, God saves one family and a male and female of each of the animal species. And when you look at the world today, especially some of the stuff that has infiltrated the, into the church, they see this and say there couldn't have possibly only been one family that was good. In fact, some argue that God is cruel and unjust because supposedly innocent women and children were drowned by the flood. So from the fall of man to today, there has been this battle of who is going to be Lord, either God or the self. And those who gravitate toward the self honestly think that humans are inherently good. I mean, you see it everywhere. For example, uh, we were watching this YouTube video of this relationship counselor, and she had great, some great points. There were things that I agreed with her on, but you want to know what the problem was. She was focused on the self and leaving God out of the equation. And we got done watching the video and it was just like, wow, she left out God out of the equation. So 
when there are people who are consumed with the self and not God, and they read Genesis chapter 6, they see a problem. They think that more should have been saved because everyone is inherently good. So they think God is cruel and unjust because all these people and animals died. And as a Christian, you know, Genesis chapter 6 can be a tough story. We look at it and only one family is saved. But when you look at it, it should make us ask, what was it about Noah that made God choose this family? What was different about him from everyone else? What makes us have to understand this story is to look deep into the context of what was going on. You know, a couple weeks back, we talked about Adam and Eve. If you didn't listen to that episode, you need to pause this episode and go listen to it. But for a recap, we know that they were created good and everything God created was good. Yet Adam and Eve made the choice to disobey God and as a result, sin entered into the world. And as we build up to Genesis chapter 6, what you find is that there is tension as we get into Genesis chapter 6. Genesis starts with everything being good, but by Genesis chapter 6, everything is corrupt. We will read a part, well, we will read all of Genesis chapter 6 in a moment. But prior to Genesis chapter 6, you have the first murder in chapter 4. And something that I notice is most people do not argue Genesis chapter 4 when God exiles Cain in this chapter. Most don't do that. But what ends up happening is Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And then in Genesis chapter 5, there's all these genealogies. And like most people, when we see genealogies in the Bible, we want to skip over them. I mean, who wants to read a bunch of names? It gets confusing who is who, and you just don't want to have to pronounce this name. So here I am to help you. One genealogy is from Cain. From Cain's line, which you see in Genesis Genesis chapter 4, we see some innovations. But what you notice is that God is out of the picture. And it's from Cain's line that you start seeing sin become more open and bolder. Then you get Seth's line in chapter 5. And from that line, you see men who walk with God. And what we have there is tension between the line of, of men and the line of God. And we get to Genesis chapter 6. And this is what we have. So it starts off, now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the faces of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man, whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and it de indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall fin it, finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark and its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. So did you pick up on anything in as you hear this passage? Now, first off, I want to just say that there is a lot of debate about the sons of man and the daughters or the sons of God and the and daughters of men. But we're not going to be talking about that. That is its own episode for, for some time in, in the future. But first off, we find out that man was wicked and had evil intent. Especially in verse 12, it says, All flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. All means everything. Everyone. That throws out the argument about women and children. All of God's creation was corrupt, even the animals. We were going over this chapter with our youth group, and our youth were like, it's just like today. Because when you look at our wildlife today, it's getting crazy. I live in grizzly country, but it's not just the grizzlies or the fluffy cows you have to worry about. Yes, we call buffalo fluffy cows because of what happens during tourist season. Anyway, everything was corrupt. As we described to our youth group, it was complete anarchy back then. And as we established a couple weeks ago, God is holy and just. So he sees what is happening in his creation. And we see in verse 6 that he was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. God realizes that he has to do something. 
it goes against his character to just let it keep going on. And here's the thing. God could have just wiped the world clean at that point and started over. But that goes against his character too. What he does is he picks Noah and his family, which brings up the question again, what was different about Noah? I mean, we just did establish that creation was corrupt. Genesis chapter 6 describes Noah as a just man, perfect in his generations, and that he walked with God. When God commanded Noah to build the ark, it says in verse 22 that Noah did according to all that God commanded, so he did. It shows he was obedient. Noah was from the line of Seth, and if you look at that genealogy, it describes men who walked with God. Does it mean Noah was without sin? No. What it meant was his heart was in the right place with God, and he had a relationship with God. And that's what made Noah different. And because of his heart, God chose him and his family to take part of this, taking care of the animals and, and bringing restoration to the world. And in fact, he says that he's going to make a covenant with with Noah. And in these days, we think about contracts and contracts can be broken, but covenants cannot be broken. And if you look further in the account of Noah after the flood, he does make that account or that covenant with him. So we read this chapter and there's something I want to point out. There's a period of time that goes by from the time God gives this command and when the flood happens. You see, when we read this Bible or any book, we tend to think everything happens right away. And it doesn't. There was a period of time that passed by. Some say it took Noah around 75 years to build this ark, which leads me to share more in-depth context here. Because Second Peter chapter 2 verses 5 says, And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. So we see here Noah warned the people all this, those years that there was an impending judgment. And they had a choice to repent, and they didn't. And this reveals something about, about God that most people don't realize. Peter even touches on it in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So here's my question. How is God cruel and unjust after hearing, hearing this verse? He's not. What we see here is God is just because he had to judge the sin that was all over the world. Yet he used a man named Noah not just to build an ark, but to warn the people to repent. What I'm hoping you are starting to see with some of these arguments is that people in opposition will sometimes look at just one section and just camp their argument on that one section. And it's not always the case. But I want you to start seeing when you see these arguments come up is break down the story 
and look at the bigger picture based on what the entire Bible says. Uh, before I end, I just want to say that sadly, when you look at Noah's account, so much of it lines up with today. You know, Jesus warned of it in Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Jesus is coming back, yet there are so many who scoff at this idea. And sadly, time is running out. And actually, there's been an uptick in uh, teachings about the rapture and end times ever since what happened with Israel on October 7th. You know, I got a heavy dose of that reality last week on Halloween. You know, not only did I have trunk or treat to do, but I had to go to a wedding. And my sister got married, and while you may be saying congratulations in the comments, it wasn't a day of celebration. The whole wedding was very dark, and there was this whole atmosphere of death. God was left out of the picture, and married Marriage was made out to be a joke. They had her husband's father do the service because I'm going to be honest, no matter what denomination, any pastor would have said no to this wedding. I'm going to tell you, there were red flags written all over. They were all drinking alcohol way before the ceremony. As I watched the ceremony, the Holy Spirit was telling me there was something bad. And my husband described feeling the presence of God leaving during the ceremony. And we didn't stay for the reception. Uh, we went to congratulate the couple, just to be nice, and they wouldn't say a word to us. In fact, when the husband looked at me, I thought I was staring at Satan himself. It's a look you only see when murderers enter into a courtroom. And I'm just going to be honest, my sister knows the gospel. She knows what is right and wrong. She knows that Jesus is coming back. There was a time she was in church, and as soon as this guy came into her life, God was out of the picture. In the days that followed, I just had an urgency to pray for her, and I have told God, do what you have to do to open up her eyes and bring her back to Christ. And I think as the body of Christ, we should look at the account of Noah. We should look at the signs of today and develop an urgency in these last days. Don't think that there's time left, that, oh, I'm young, or there's somebody else who's more qualified than me. It's time now that we get busy. So that's it for this week's episode. Uh, what I'm going to do actually is we're going to start alternating topics each week. So next week, I'm actually going to do a, a book review for a book I recently finished that was really good. Um, I'm not going to give you the title. I'm not going to spoil that. But the following week, we're going to go into Exodus and we're going to look at the problem people have with this story and with Pharaoh and the judgments that happen on the Egyptians. And we're going to talk about that. So have a great week. God bless. Mm -hmm.